Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Podcast. Guys, next week, June the 11th is Thursday. That is the kickoff of the Uncharted Online Conference. It starts off with our Anchor Ball. It is going to be a wonderful four days online. You're like, how could four days online be wonderful? Well, first of all, you don't have to be online for four days. I I think that's mind-numbing. I don't think anybody wants that. Second of all, this is going to be unlike any sort of online event you've had before. This is definitely not you sitting back and then someone uh, droning on at you from behind PowerPoint slides. That is not what is going to happen. This is going to be hopefully the most interactive online event you have ever seen. We have really gone to the mat to make something totally new and different. We have broken the mold. We are not using the same software that people, other people use. We are going to be doing something really, really cool. If you want to know what it is, if you want to experience it, you got to get registered. But that's okay. You can get registered right now. Head over to UnchartedVet.com, click on conferences, and grab yourself a spot. There's probably about 25 spots left, uh, and you can get in. So, Uncharted online conference next week. You do not want to miss it. It is even if it's just you're like, I just got to see this thing that he says is totally different from everything else. Try me, check me, see if see if I'm lying to you. I'm not lying to you. It will be something that you will remember. You'll be like, oh, I haven't seen anything like this before. Check it out. It is all about culture. It is all about uh, recession proofing recession proofing your practice. It is about the next six months as we emerge from the COVID pandemic. If you're like, I don't really know what our practice is going to do or what that's going to look like or how we're going to pay our bills or what the pet owners are going to do, come to our conference. It's 100% about that. See you there, June the 11th through June the 14th. And with that, let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. We are supported by PSI Vet. Guys, if you know anything about me, you know that I care about our support staff. I want them to have good jobs. I want them to make good income. And I believe that they need health care. Everybody should have some health care coverage. If you're at a practice that struggles to provide this for your team, I urge you take a look at the PSI Healthcare Initiative that came out uh, earlier this year. You can learn all about it at PSIHealthCareInitiative.com or check out our bonus podcast episode from a couple weeks ago. PSI Healthcare Initiative.com. And we are back. It's me. And Stephanie Dalla makes me holla God. <laughs> yeah. I got a good one for you today. Okay. I like and I it. Love I love this. <laughs> I, 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 I got this and I was reading through. I was on the social media, which I have done steadily less of. Um, but I was on the social media and I saw this and I went... <laughs> and I just thought about showing this to you. And so now I'm going to show it to you now. And then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do it. Um, Great, let me, it. let me find it here in uh, the 37 internet tabs that I keep open. All right. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase. So this was, um, this was a comment about pro sal versus salary and pro sal is for those who don't know, um, Pro-sal is when uh, doctors or technicians, but mostly doctors, have a base salary, and then they get paid a percentage of their production with the idea that they will earn a bonus over top of the base salary that they were given. So it's not like just being paid on production where you get a percentage of whatever you produce. It's like, nope, you've got a floor that you know you're going to get paid for, and then a potential to earn a bonus on top of it. So that's pro-sal. And then salary is just what everybody knows. is just a, an agreement of what people are going to make. So this is about pro-sal versus 
salary. And the person says, you know, I see a, 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 an issue with compensation in general because I get paid on pro-sal and the, uh, the practice wants me to do blogging and staff training and help develop standard operating procedures and help with community events. And all of that is unpaid work that helps the practice. So the practice gets stuff out of it and it right. grows the practice for the long term. but I don't get any benefit from that. And they keep asking me to do work that I'm not getting paid for because I get right. paid on pro sale, which means I get paid based on the work that I do in the exam room. And they also went on to say they were, uh, they were looking at the technicians and they're seeing a lot of technician level one, technician level two, uh, and a standard pay for that level. And, and that seems like uh, kind of something that's tied together because, again, the technicians are getting paid this way as tech level one, tech level two. And they're also not getting paid for extra stuff that they do if they lead training sessions, if they mm -hmm. help with staff meetings, stuff like that. And also, you can have some nasty people who are tech level four because they have the clinical skills, but they're toxic. And then you have mm -hmm. the most wonderful person that you want to work with who's technician level one and she's making the least of anyone in the hospital because she doesn't have the experience and the technical skills but she right. works harder than anybody and she's a joy to be around and that doesn't seem quite right when we talk about um about compensation the last part is um what uh, uh when we have these set levels are we uh, discouraging great employees from negotiating for a better salary? Is that wise? Uh, you know, shouldn't people be encouraged to negotiate for themselves? Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the current tech shortage, maybe letting people negotiate or encouraging them to negotiate would help hospitals recruit technicians that we desperately need. So there's a lot there all about sort of payment and compensation I uh, I laughed. I think that there's a lot of different issues here. There's a lot of different perspectives. Um, uh, this very much comes from the employee side. And so the manager side uh, looks at this very differently, which is why I laughed so hard when I saw it. And uh, not because I'm, I'm down on this post. I, I think these are great questions. I really do. Uh, but I just think about, man, the world looks different from different perspectives. Do you totally. agree, Stephanie mm -hmm. God? I do. I do. Uh, 100, 100%. I, I, I do. I think the world does look different from different perspectives. And I think that there's a lot to it from both sides. I think um, you laid out a couple of different issues that are definitely worth um, talking about from both sides. And I think that um, maybe if we just take it, you want to start at, you want to start at the bottom or you want to start at the top? Um, let's start at the top. Let's start, let's start right. back, uh, circle back up. We have a whole podcast episode on, uh, on pro sal versus salary, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, we do. Yep, we do. And that was one where we just kind of talked through the differences in those. So if anybody out there is like, mm, I'm not super confident that I know the differences between those, it's definitely a, a good one to um, listen to, but I think you did a really good job explaining the very basic differences, which is really all that matters for this discussion. And so I think the, the big, the first main point is the question of whether 
um, compensation packages or plans in a practice are taking into account intangible or soft skill things that help the people and the practice grow, but are not directly financially benefiting that employee, whether it's a doctor or um, a paraprofessional staff, right? So things like training the staff, helping write blogs for the website, developing standards of care, standard operating procedures, you know, doing a community event, um, taking extra time with clients and explaining and educating in exam rooms, stuff that isn't like part, you know, when you, I think when you think about your average job description, think about skills as I can, you know, I'm proficient at venipuncture or, you know, I can monitor anesthesia, um, you know, things that are hard skills. This is really steering us into the area of what, what is considered a soft skill, um, and, or something that feels a little bit intangible to a lot of people because it's not clearly defined. And so I would say that a huge piece of the problem could be solved right off the bat by people having better job descriptions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which will probably come to no surprise to anyone who listens to the podcast that I'm going to say, let's take it back to your handbook and your job descriptions. The reason that I say that is because I do think that soft skills absolutely 100% have a place in a job description. And too often, um, especially in the veterinary field, we do not define that as part of our job description. And so we set ourselves up for failure from the very beginning because we don't define it as an expectation to an employee. And so I'm going to give you an example. Okay. If, you are an, if you are an associate and you are going to work at a practice and they hand you a job description and the job description says, you know, you, you see patients, you do surgery X number of days, you um, are responsible for diagnostics and it's all medicine focused. And it says not one word about, participating in staff meetings or um, training the staff or helping define the standard of care for practice. If it says none of that, and it's really truly focused on patient care, maybe there's some sprinklings of this is our expectation for what you do with the clients, but that's, that's it. It's very medicine focused. And then on the flip side of that, you have a practice where you read the job description and there is that same whole section about what the expectation is for medicine and what the expectation is for clients. And it also very clearly says that all associate doctors will participate in weekly or monthly staff meetings, and they will be expected to lead a quarterly CE for the staff, and they will be expected to participate in you know, a minimum of one community event once a year. If that's in writing from the very beginning and you read that in the job description, those two pictures of what life is like as an associate doctor in those two practices are very much like night and day. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's where the problem really starts is I feel like we don't do a good job of, of defining for our team members, whether it's an associate or a technician or CSR, what we actually want the job to be. And so we are setting them all up for failure from the very start. 
Yes and no. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. with you, and okay. it's not just I'm not just pushing back against having having job description. I'm, you know, that's not that's not what I'm saying. Um, so let let me like, have it. Let me have okay. it. Okay. No, no. I mean, here's here's my, and you can tell me I'm wrong. You can totally tell me I'm wrong. What you are saying is the best fix to a problem. It's the best thing you can do if you're not able or willing to remove the problem. Like if you know what I mean? I, does that make any sense? If you're, if you're going to go the pro style way, then you're darn right. You better have good job descriptions for what you just said, you know, for the reasons that you said, right. Mm -hmm. the, what still happens in, in my experience, and, and again, cause you, what still happens in my experience is that at some point you realize there's something you want the doctors to start doing that was not in their original contract. You know what I mean? And then sure. you're trying to add something to it and you run into the problem, which you have gracefully avoided up to this point because you had really good job descriptions. So mm -hmm. I'm not trying to take away the importance of the job descriptions. They are really important. I think, I think my point is zooming even a little bit farther out and saying, Stephanie, I don't think there's any way to get around the tendency for this problem to happen if you're okay. going to go with ProTel. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I think you're, so yeah, I think your answer is 100% correct if you're going to go this way. And so the uh, the podcast that that did was called Vets on Production Want Extra Pay for Everything. It's episode 59, if you're hearing this and you want to jump back. Um, I, so, I mean, it's, it's what we talked about in, the, in that podcast. I'll, I'll come, to, come to the point that, that, that I really think is the most important with ProSal. I don't know. <sighs> the risk with ProSal, right, is this. When you set up ProSal, you say to the doctor, okay, here is the job. And here's the job description. If you And hopefully you say, here's the job description. And these are all things that are included in the job. So I am paying you a base salary for this job. Okay. And to protect you from feeling like you're getting taken advantage of or that you're working all the time and not benefiting, I am going to allow you to earn a bonus based on the number of cases that you see, the, you know, the amount of, of medicine that you do. And that's to make you feel like you share in the benefits if we stay really, really busy. You don't feel like you're getting paid a set amount and you're working all the time and you're having to stay late to finish things up or you're throwing in or you're being asked to help cover and you're not benefiting in any way. So we're going to pay you a bonus on top of the salary we pay you for the job that's laid out. That is the healthy, productive pro-sal mindset. And right. as long as you can hold that mindset, then Steph Stephanie, your advice is 100% accurate, and that is the best advice you can give in my mind. I What I'm saying, I guess, is I just don't know if you can hold that mindset. You know what I mean? It only takes one person to come in and flip the mindset, and the mindset then becomes, I am paid on production. And that's how I get compensated. Or they come in and they look at the pro sale model and say, this is a game. And guys, we are simple animals. We are wired for gamesmanship. If we see a game, we want to figure out how to hit the food pellet faster or the, the food pellet bar 
faster and more sure. easily. You know what I mean? And so like, and so what happens is people, they flip the switch and it goes from, I make a salary with a chance to earn a bonus to I get paid for on production and everything else that I do. That's not me in the exam room making money is hurting my uh, ability to make money. You know what I mean? And like, once they flip over to that, to that mindset, that's when you get the, the problems and the headaches of pro sal. Do you, do you agree with that? I mean, do you think I'm totally off base here? No, I don't. I, and I, I don't, I don't think you are. I struggle with it significantly because that's not how I think about it. Right. Um, and so it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to put my, my brain in that space. And at the same time, I have certainly worked with enough um, team members and doctors um, who do view it that way. So I can understand why you have to have the conversation because there are a lot of people who view it that way. And yeah. I think that's for the hard part or the struggle for me, the part I struggle to wrap my brain around. Um, and again, actually this piece of it, I think for me comes back to compensation is that when you were talking about um, paid on paid on production and I see more cases I, I do more medicine. I make more money. I see that and totally hear that. And at the same time, that falls in the medicine realm for me. And it doesn't exclude those other things. If those other things are defined from the beginning, it just makes sense to me that someone would understand. And I think from my experience as a manager, a lot of what comes into play here is differences in what someone is being compensated for as their base versus what they're being compensated for in their production. And, and I have found a lot of doctors who don't have, who are on ProSal and don't have a base that is commensurate with the expectation of what they're supposed to be doing in the practice. And so I'm just going to throw out really loose numbers here to illustrate the point. Okay. So if you have an associate whose base is $45,000 and you're asking them to do the medicine and see all the cases and generate the production, and you want them to do the staff training and the um, you know, write the blog for the practice and all of that other yeah. stuff. Or, or, or that, to manage the staff, you right. are, you are the um, the go to person for all of the technicians, right? And here's forty five thousand dollars as your salary right. for you to be essentially the technician manager and write blog posts. And yeah. by the way, you're a veterinarian seeing a full caseload. Case yeah. yeah. When you when you have that, um, and then and then on the again on the on the opposite end of the spectrum, that feels significantly different than an associate doctor who has a job description that includes all of those things, maybe, you know, includes, that's a great example, being the floor leader for the technicians and directing yeah, what they're doing. I've and seen that. Something, and their base salary is $90,000 plus their production. Those two things feel dramatically different. And oh. so it's a lot, it's a lot easier to look at the job itself 
in stark contrast when you have the money discrepancy there. And for me, that my experience has been that's why a lot of, um, and particularly associate doctors, struggle to wrap their brain around the idea of a job including things that are intangible or soft skills because hospitals are not raising the bar for the base to compensate for those things. So they're not wrong when they feel like they're not getting compensated for them. Um, God, that that, that is, that is so good. You're so right. That, that really fits. You're, God is so good. You're exactly right. I mean, cause that really does feed that. It feeds that whole thing of, are you getting paid on salary with a chance to get a bonus? Or are you a straight production employee based on what you do in the exam room? Right. You know, and you're exactly right. When you have that, that, that salary, that, that feels right for the job description. Mm-hmm. Plus we're going to pay you this bonus. Um, just so you don't feel like you're getting taken advantage of when things get busy or you feel like you benefit when we're busy or you yeah. feel like you're benefiting as we grow. Or you're benefiting as you build your own clientele. Like that makes sense. But I think you're totally right. And so I see again and again and again, the practice owner, practice manager look and say, I want to keep this base salary as low as I can. And it, you're right. Like as you push that thing down, it just sends the message. This base salary is kind of bullshit, (laughs) you know? And really, you're getting paid on production. I think right. ah, that makes so much sense, Stephanie. I love that you say that. Let me also make a disclaimer here uh, for you, because uh, you know this. But for people at home, my house flooded yesterday. And so I am broadcasting from literally from on top of a pile of towels. I'm not kidding. And so I'm not in the happiest place. So if I seem a bit down on the world and on people... It's because the flaming, raging sword of justice is laying in my lap. Right. And like, and right. I'll be honest, I read this and I was like, ha ha, fire them all! Fire <laughs> all of them! And that was, that was, but again, not, that's not my norm, but I want you to know where, where I'm coming from today. So if you're no like, wow, Andy's not messing around. Andy needs to calm down and just, uh, I, I need, um. Andy I needs need a, a tropical vacation. I do. I need a <laughs> tropical vacation that has no water. I need a right. tropical vacation in the desert. Desert. <laughs> like I'm not a Vegas guy, but I would go to Vegas just to just so my lips can crack and chap from the lack of humidity. <laughs> That's what I want right now. So yes, oh, um, I would like to walk. I would like to walk back my original point about people inherently being uh, greedy and say that's not true. That's flooded house Andy talking. Stephanie Goss, I bow to you. You you are right. Oh, thank you. It's really nice to hear you say that and not threaten to fire me, which is Uh, our usual discussion. No, at this at this point in an episode. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, we're we still got about a, we're like halfway, right. so don't right. you know, okay. don't, don't count your chicken. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, okay, noted. I could no. still get fired by the end of this episode. Noted. Okay, <laughs> but so for real, like that for me, I I I think your point is a really really valid one, and it I struggle to get in that mindset. And I think part of the reason that I struggle to get into that mindset is because I have never worked myself as a team member who was compensated on production, nor worked as a manager 
where I'm managing veterinarians, where I have been in scenario A, where I have a job that a description where it includes a lot of soft skills and intangibles. And I have a very um, low base salary that is attached to that. So I struggle to wrap my brain around that. But I don't think that you're wrong because I do think that a huge portion of our colleagues, and I don't know if it's a majority or not, but I do think that there's a very large portion of our colleagues who are sitting in positions where the base salary does not match the job. Right. And so I could very, very easily empathize and understand how they would feel like they feel and -hmm. feel like they're not being compensated to do all of these things and have it be directed towards the idea of pro sal versus salary. Really, that's not what it's actually about. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so that's where I that's where I struggle. Sure. Well, and, the, and, the, and here's the other part of it, too, is, you know, that, that's not how I, I sort of see the world. You know, to me, the staff means a lot. Staff training is just deeply innately important. Um, but uh, my experience has been, you know, that's sort of the lens I look at the world. But I also, for whatever reason, I think fairness is wired into a lot of us. And so when you know another doctor is stealing drop-offs and hiding the charts so that they will get to do the drop-offs in the afternoon Mm -hmm. and you, you know what I mean? And you will not, you go, wait, 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 wait a second. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't thinking about production. I wasn't thinking about getting paid, but as soon as I feel like I'm getting cheated, you know, and, and I'm, you know, and someone else is, is gaming the system, then all of a sudden, it's not about me doing the job that I came here to do. It's about the game. It's about me not being cheated. It, it, and that, mm-hmm. that fairness button in all of us, is sure. it, it runs mm-hmm. in, right into the heart of the lizard brain, you know? And so, so I, I think that that gets, that gets set off a lot. So here, here's sort of, here's, I guess, the, my, my take home. Um, you're exactly right. I, I think if you are going to do ProSal, that base salary, which may not mean, see like it doesn't seem like it means much because your doctors probably generally they get a bonus, and so you go, oh well, that salary doesn't really matter because they're going to make more than that. It does matter, and a clear description of what they get for their salary matters. And so I think having those conversations about the salary and what is included in the salary, and talk about the salary and the bonus, not the payment on production and let's see how much money you generated and all the emphasis is on your production. I, I think that that really matters. I think from a cultural standpoint, talking again and again about a bonus versus uh, earning production. I, I just think that's a small thing, but, but it's important. I think paying attention and jumping on gamesmanship when you see it, and shutting it down so it doesn't become a game where people are trying to show up early in the morning to grab surgeries that they might not otherwise get. Like that, mm-hmm. that stuff from a, from a leadership level, that needs to get shut down. Or you're going to have a game and you're going to see mm-hmm. people uh, focusing all their attention on what earns money and not right. on the extracurriculars. And I, I think that's a, right. a real risk with ProSal and production. And so we, mm-hmm. we got to... We got to jump on that. You know, my favorite compensation structure, I think, from a cultural standpoint, I, I, I'm a salary guy 
or a salary with with bonus. But and again, this is this is the this is the flaw to to what I like, and I would be really open about it. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying it's better. I think making production a part of how we compensate people and keeping those in discrete buckets and saying this is what you're doing in the exam room and this is what you're doing in the in the clinic. I think all of that is the most wonderful um, nirvana type thing, especially here's here's the 360 evaluations and this is what the staff says about you. That to me is bliss. But I am also not naive. And I know how difficult it is to do that and how much effort and work it takes to get those 360 evaluations and to filter them and to try to make an objective system that's based on, uh, on, on not objective feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that is really, really hard. And you have to have a manager owner who really believes, is a true believer, and, and will put that work in. Otherwise, totally. it's, ju- it's just too much. The, the problem that brings us back to production again and again, which you can't argue with, is it's simple. You're looking at a hard number, and you're right. taking a percentage of that number, and you're paying that person, and you both agree that that's fair. And year to year, you don't have to renegotiate. You just say, this is the number. Right. And, right. That, and it, that is simple. And so I, even after all I've said about ProSal and about gamesmanship and the way that we're wired, I still am not going to tell anyone to throw that system away. I'm going to say, know the dark side of that system sure. and work against it. And how do you work against it? Stephanie, I give you brilliant advice. Talk about the salary, make the clear job descriptions, make expectations 100% up front, and then, and then protect the culture of, this is a salary a practice with bonus potential so that people don't feel taken advantage of. And so they benefit mm-hmm. from the growth of our business, but we are going to, we are going to referee the game tight. We're going to call it tight and we're not going to let it get out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> I am the master sometimes, sometimes I yeah, have thoughts sometimes and they come out are. clearly. So, so back, so back <laughs> to the post. This right. Post- let's, talk is, about the, let's talk about the middle part. Cause that's well, important. So, so just to wrap up the first part. They're, they're right. And yeah, I've seen that where you have got a straight up everybody hustles for production practice. And they're like, hey, guys, we need somebody to write this blog. And right. you've never seen grown people play hide and seek faster right. than, <laughs> than you see that. It's just, hey, guys, we need somebody to really oversee the technician training. There, right. there is a not only is there not an incentive for it, there's a negative. There's a disincentive for it. Because they are not only you are not making, um, not only are you not getting paid for that work, you are actively hurting your income by doing that work. And and that is a problem. And where I see a lot of practices have success with that piece of it is it is a little bit easier to to have a rational conversation with doctors on the perspective of staff training, because that does directly benefit them. And I think most doctors see that they're like, well, if I have a well-trained staff that knows how to do their jobs, I'm going to be able to do my job faster and I'm going to be able to generate revenue faster. So I that conversation I've seen go fairly easy for a lot of practices. I think where they all struggle is the stuff that is not directly tied to them making money. It's, it is the stuff that, um, you know, the examples you gave in the beginning, like um, the, the blogging, helping in community events, spending extra time, 
um, helping clients bond to the practice, the fluffy stuff that benefits the business in the long run. It also benefits the staff, but it's harder to see that. I think that that makes the conversation a lot harder. Yeah. Well, you've got a, um, you, you, you do, you've got a referee. It's like a, um, this is game theory. Okay. So here's the game. Here's when you, if you really want to play the game, here's the game theory. The worst outcome for me as a doctor is that I have an untrained staff. The best outcome for me as a doctor is that somebody else trains the staff and I just see exam rooms with a steadily improving staff. That's the best outcome. And then the middle outcome is I have a well-trained staff that I have contributed to, uh, to training. Now, me personally, I am a teacher. I love to teach. I love the staff. I love to work with them. I'm an extrovert. I enjoy this. But but you get you get my point, right, in the game. Yeah. And that's why you got to call the game. Uh, you have to call – you have to ref the game if you're running the practice and you're, and, you're, and you're paying based on this because, yes, you are right. The worst outcome from every, for everyone is an untrained staff. But the best outcome is – somebody else trains a staff and I just get to use a well-trained staff. And I have seen that. I have totally seen yeah. that. And yeah, so for sure. the, the, the correct outcome, if you're the practice owner or manager and you're, or the medical director and you're running the game is that you don't allow anyone to be the one who gets away, who cheats right. essentially, yeah. mm-hmm. who gets the yeah. benefit without doing any of the work to get there. And yeah. you force everyone into the, we are all going to contribute so that we have this. And then everyone is a moderate winner and no one is a breakaway cheat, cheater winner. All right. Cool. Like that, that's, that, that's that. So, um, I hear what Part I hear number what one person posting is saying, let's go. All right. Love it. Let's wrap it up. Um, Done. talk to me about the pay scales based on skill levels, the, the tech one, tech two, tech three mm-hmm. and tying payments to that. Um, why don't, why don't you just lay down a justification for that? Cause you, 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 you use that system. You have a, you have a very open pay scale, you know, in practices that, that you've run. Yeah. So here's, here's how I look at it. Um, I think that there, just like there is a lot of variance among our doctors and how they're paid, there is, um, a very open and wide discrepancy for our paraprofessional staff and um, so many factors, but so many practices that I've worked with or worked in, you've walked in and you've had, you know, five, you've got five different assistants or technicians and, you know, one of them came to the practice with multiple years of experience. And so what they walked in the door, they said, this is what I was making at my last practice. And someone said, yes. And so that's where they started. And then they've moved up from there because they've been there a while. And then you've got the newbie who has no experience and someone was like, well, this feels like an entry level position. So this is what you're going to pay you. And they took it. They took that on. But that same person is super excited and learning. And they're the one to always volunteer for the extra, the extra things that need to be done or the extra shifts or whatever. So they're super helpful. Um, you know, and then you've got somebody else who's kind of in the middle between those two, um, doesn't really do a lot of work, has been there a while though. And so is getting paid more than everybody else, but they're certainly not pulling the same amount of weight as the, the green employee who's volunteering for all of the things that's pretty common in a lot of practices. And it's the same kind of practice where nobody really talks about 
how they're compensated because it feels like there's this secrecy because there's really no rhyme or reason for anyone Mm. as to why they're being paid what they're paid. At least not that anyone's going to admit to because what practice owner wants to admit that, you know, they agreed to basically overcompensate someone for a job that they're doing or undercompensate another person or, um, you know, that they gave in because they were in a really tight spot and they just needed a body. And so they said, yes, even though someone wanted $5 more an hour than everybody else is getting paid, that happens all the time in practice. And so Mm -hmm. for for me as an employee, it was really, really frustrating to feel like there was, there was not, um, there was not an even playing field. It's not about e- equality. I I don't personally feel, but just at least I want to be on the same even playing field. And so um, I worked in a practice where it was um, they had a structured pay scale and full full disclosure. These practice owners had. Um, worked extensively outside of the veterinary field before um, buying a veterinary practice. So they had seen other industries and look in in the majority of the other industries out there, having a standard wage scale where people know this is the bottom end, this is the top end, and this is what I have to do to climb the ladder. Yeah. That's that's, That's pretty standard in a lot of other industries out there and it's published it's on paper you know what you have to do and to me that just made sense and so I had uh, worked in a practice where they had a wage scale like that and they they figured out okay these are the jobs we have these are the job descriptions and so let's break it up and let's figure out a system where when we write a job ad and put it who's gonna date me put it in the newspaper we can actually tell people <laughs> what we're doing what when we write a job ad and tie it to the pigeon and send it out to the castle to try to find strapping young farm lads to come and work for us yeah pretty much uh, <laughs> when we figure out how to shrink that down to three words so that it fits in the newspaper ad and we don't pay two hundred dollars for that ad um it everybody knows what we're, what we're paying and it's open and honest and there's, there's no questions about that. Um, and so I kind of fell in love as an employee with the idea that I didn't have to come in and sweat it out to feel like I was justifying what I was worth to an employer. It was, these are the skills you have. These are the skills you, you, this is the pay that's going to get, you know, that's tied to that. Here are the skills you could attain and if you attain these skills, here's the pay that's tied to that. It just felt very even level fields to me. Yeah. Um, and okay. so I, fe- I fell in love with it. Yeah. Well, it, it, it makes it. So, so let me put a couple of things on, t- on top of that. Um, money is weird. Uh, people are weird about money and money yeah. is, is weird um, yeah. for all of us. There is a lot of feelings of self-worth tied up in what we are paid. Like we, like we see either, we either see our own value tied up in, in, in the salary that we make, or we see the perceived value of someone else. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, the boss thinks I'm worth this. And he thinks he, the other guy is worth that. Right. The boss obviously doesn't, doesn't, you know, under, like he doesn't seem, I'm not appreciated. And like all that, I mean, we've all felt that we've all had feelings like that. And so, um, the uh, the salary it, it it hits these weird self identity buttons. It also 
really squarely hits that fairness button we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, where fair, like we're talking about the most precious tangible resource that there is. Mm -hmm. And you better believe our caveman brains are wired to count resources and feel scarcity and to look at fairness in valuable resources. And so those are big, those are big, big landmines uh, for people. The other thing, so, and when you have a pay scale, you get around that stuff, you know, you, you get, you get around those buttons and you say, this is what it is. And this is how you, you move up. And it's not about identity at all. It's not tied to your personal value in any way, shape right. or form. You go right. that. The other thing that you do is you protect yourself from potential discrimination uh, litigation. No one is going to look around and you go, oh, crap, I didn't realize that uh, without me knowing it, whether it's for subconscious reasons or just dumb luck, the men in this practice make more than the women. And right. that's not OK. And that's not what we wanted. But here we are that that, you know, that that shouldn't happen. And or we look around and we say, oh, we have um, we have minorities working in our practice. And when I look at the numbers, oh, crap, they make less than everyone else. That shouldn't happen. And what I'm I, what I'm doing here is assuming the best intent by people and going, mm -hmm. oh, crap, I never meant for this to happen. I didn't realize right. this was happening just right. by dumb luck. It's shaped up this way. But sure. now if you look at it from the outside, it looks like we are discriminating against people. Mm -hmm. And maybe we are without without even meaning it. And right. God, we, we want to fix that. You know what I mean? And so yeah. just having a base pay sale, we, we get away from all of that. We get away from all of that stuff. Yeah, totally. And I think, so I think um, when you were sharing with us about the post that you were reading, they were saying, okay, let's talk about technicians. I've seen a lot of places moving to pay scale. And that is true. Like a, um, a lot of people are, are venturing into this realm with their paraprofessional staff. And I think that the post was saying, but at the same time, we're also constantly talking about culture, right? And the, the non the non-technical work things, again, the non-medicine things that make employees superstars, right? Was that yeah. what they were talking about? I, I so think how that's do, exactly how do we what they were talking that? about. How do we take that into account when we pay people? Yeah, I, I think I just I actually I really like this question a lot. Like this is this is the part I was like. Dern, this is a great point. You know what I mean? And so we just laid out, we just clearly laid out all the benefits and the rationale for paying people based on a, a quantifiable scale saying you can do this and this and this. So you get this. And now we are flipping the argument over and arguing the other side to say, but what about the intangibles? What about the soft skills? How do we factor those things in? You know? So again, my point is oh, not going to be any. Don't you, don't you dare. <laughs> it's not going to be any different than my doctors, which is that. Uh, so in order to actually truly make this level, you have to address the soft skills and you have to have a job description that includes the <laughs> basic uh, job description that you expect You're from right. your team. And so... <laughs> So, um, for example, if you expect them to um, offer service with a smile and always answer the phone after the third ring, like the way you set up your job description, something as specific as answering the, the phone by the third ring may not be in your actual job description, 
but it sure as heck should be in your standard operating procedures that match that job description. And so when you have a system like that and you lay out those expectations, you can absolutely define a lot of the soft skill expectations. And, and, you, and you have to. Now, there's a caveat with the paraprofessional staff that is not there with your, necessarily with your associate DVMs, which is that I have almost never seen a hospital that has pay scales that are as wide and as flexible as the ability to pay doctors. And so I have very, very rarely seen hospitals where their job descriptions and their pay scales take into account the intangible, the additional job duties. And so what I almost always see is that hospitals have a subset of things that they want um, team members to do similar to like helping write for the blog, or maybe you have a team member who's in charge of social media or those other things that go above and beyond the actual basic job description for a technician. And here's where I would say that it is not, you're not comparing apples to oranges when you talk about the paraprofessional staff and the doctors, because the salary ranges are so much narrower. And so this is where I am an advocate for saying, if you're going to ask someone to take on a, essentially a new job description, in addition to their medicine duties, that's where you're going to take a chunk of money and you're going to associate it again with a job description of this is what I want you to do. And these are the expectations that I have for this job. And you are going to pay that on top of the salary that you are paying them to do their base function job as a technician. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'm going to throw a couple of things on here. Okay. Um, number one, uh, you can factor in um, soft skill evaluation into moving up the chain. Again, yeah. we can definitely talk about advancement and tie that to a 360 review evaluation of uh, an employee, an individual. It doesn't have to be 360, but some sort of, of intangible evaluation. Mm -hmm. We have to do that. I think about my wife's job. She's a college professor, and a part of their raise slash bonus structure is based on three tenants. And so every year, my wife is evaluated by her institution on uh, mentorship, mm -hmm. scholarship, and service. So mentorship mm -hmm. is extra work that she does with students beyond just teaching her classes, but she's right. expected to go above and beyond that to mentor students. Sure. Uh, scholarship is her publishing academic articles and, um, and, and, and um, service. service. It's just, it's, it's just service. It's, it's what are you mm -hmm. doing for the community? And her, uh, her job compensation is tied mm -hmm. every year to her having mentorship, scholarship, community. And she knows if she wants to uh, get a larger bonus or, or whatever, mm -hmm. she's going to mm -hmm. need to check all three boxes. And if she checks two of the three boxes, then it's something. And if you check one of the three boxes, mm -hmm. it's something else. And, and mm -hmm. I really like that. I, I mm -hmm. really can see uh, I, I and I, I love those categories. As far as mentorship for me would be training, uh, educating others in in the in the practice. Uh, scholarship would be CE. And are you learning? Are you growing? Are you getting new skills? Are you bettering yourself? And and then mm -hmm. um, 
and then services, you know, depending on the core values you practice, like what are you doing to, to make our community better? And I just, I, I think that those things are, I think those things are cool. And I, I think that they can fit, um, I think they can fit into, into pay structures pretty well. I love that you, I love that you um, shared that because you just explained um, very succinctly what I have been doing and I never really had a name for it. And, and I, it makes total sense. So for me with, when I implemented pay structures, I didn't stop compensating them for going above and beyond that job. It just was not any longer tied to their hourly salary. Mm-hmm. So when I had a rock star employee who got, you know, 60 units of CE in a year and who volunteered to, you know, lead the community event and coordinated the whole thing, you know, without asking just because they were excited to do it. That's where I say, okay, I can give them a bonus or I can buy them, buy them, um, you know, extra gift cards to a spa day, or I can, um, you know, give them extra PTO as a reward or as a thank you. Those are bonus things that I can absolutely do that, that do add to the total compensation for someone, but it's not taking a technician job description and saying, okay, because Becky did all of these things. Now I'm going to start paying her a dollar more an hour mm-hmm. for the same job that I'm asking everybody to do, but I'm still compensating people for those above and beyond. And I think that that's, I, I love that. Yeah. And I, I love those three categories. It makes sense. Well, thank you. Thanks for saying that. Um, and then the, the last part I'll throw on top of this, that, that I think is coming. Uh, you and I have talked about this a number of times, just, just us. We, we talked about it at, at some presentations we've done together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that technician production tracking is coming. I think that sort of one of the big next steps in uh, the vet business and also in helping technicians earn a living wage is paying more attention to what technicians are doing as far as compliance with pet owners, as far as making recommendations. I mean, here we are and we all look at what the doctors do and we're all looking at their production. But come on, guys, your technicians are the ones who are in there recommending senior blood work, recommending uh, parasiticides, recommending um, follow-up examinations. A lot of times the techs are making dental recommendations, even if they're doing a limited examination for the doctor. They're, you know, they are doing so much of the wellness. And we don't even look at them. And I'll say to a doctor, I'll look right, right in, right in the doctor's face, and I'll say, "Which one of your technicians does more blood work than all the other ones?" No idea. And I go, "Does that seem right to you? You know, does does that seem does that seem right? We, you know, we look at people's skills, but we're not going to look at who can make effective recommendations and get clients to do things. That doesn't make any sense to me." Um, well, and again, I think you know this is this is a this is a whole other podcast, but. But I think, um, I think you're right. And I think the other part of the conversation that often becomes is, well, how do we, how do we pay for that? And how do we, you know, how do we structure that? And, and that's where you and I have talked about, have talked about this before, but, um, you know, I think part of the conversation is starting to look at who, who is actually doing the work Mm -hmm. and, and compensating them fairly for it. And my doctors are like, but, but I, you know, I do the diagnosing and yeah, that's 100% true. And I think if we were living in a world where our doctors 
all had proper base salaries or proper salaries and were really being compensated for the work that they were doing, that it wouldn't hurt as much and it wouldn't be as big of a conversation to talk about, let's be real about the pieces of that, that the technicians, especially our licensed technicians are doing for you and figure out how to split apart some of that pie so that there is room to compensate them there. And I think the reason that it's such a touchy subject is because we do have very, very much a state of inequality in how we're paying our, our associates and our paraprofessional staff. And so it goes exactly what you goes back to exactly what you said, Andy, about money being a weird thing and it's tied to people's values. And we haven't had enough of these conversations in our fields to make this not feel like a nuclear bomb when we're having, yeah. having the conversations. Oh yeah. Well, here's, here's a real nuclear bomb. Uh, and this, this may make some people mad. Um, but but you want to talk about a real paradigm shift? And I'm gonna go ahead and light the fuse and say and say something uh, <laughs> say something uh, fairly controversial. Uh, we are taught in vet school that getting the diagnosis is the most important thing, and there's a lot of people who go, "I'm the one who makes the diagnosis, and so I should get compensated for these things." I think that's garbage. Um, a, getting the diagnosis means nothing if you can't get the pet owners to take action. And take yeah. care of their pet. Yeah, and, and I, I know that makes people mad. And I don't mean it in a disrespectful way. Getting the diagnosis is very, very important. But you've got, you know, tell me which one would you rather have? Would you rather have someone who is fantastic at getting clients to do wellness care on their pets? And they are incredible at getting pet owners to actually take weight off their pets and get dental cleanings? Or would you rather have uh, somebody who can make the most crazy diagnosis of the most, uh, you know, esoteric disease that you've ever heard of? No, give me the first one all day long because right. that person is going to actually save lives and uh, in significant numbers and really make an impact for those patients versus the person who spots reverse 360 Cushing's disease, which is a thing that only happens in Des Moines, Iowa. I, I, I don't, I don't know what, right. but, but yeah, but, that, but that's it. I, I think I, I, anyway, I, I think a shifting person, like, I, I think the honest reality, and I'm not trying to make people mad. I hope, I really hope I'm not, but, but I hope <laughs> that people hear what I'm saying. Um, we need to compensate people on getting pet owners to actually do the thing, not just on, on theoretical knowledge that they have. And so when we talk about technicians and we say, oh, well, they have these skills and, and, but they never use them and they can't get the clients to let them do the skills that they are capable of doing. I'm not, I'm not sure we need to be moving that person up versus the person who maybe doesn't have that skills, but is wonderful and who serves the community and serves the team and, and is a bright spot in our culture. Like, think we need to reevaluate what we really hold up as valuable. Yeah. Um, but let, you know, I, I agree with you and I think, <laughs> I think we just found another podcast episode. Um, <laughs> cause I yeah, think we can read all the hate mail that I'm going to get. Yeah. after that. <laughs> I think we, <laughs> we could take the nuclear bomb and put it in its own episode. Um, yeah. but no, I, I think well, you're right. Well, and I, okay. I, I really do. I really do think that that plays a, a part in it. And so, I think for, for me, it's clearly defining 
the skills and the medicine and then looking at it separate. I am not an advocate of tying those additional job duties for paraprofessional staff to their hourly salary um, in the sense that I'm still calling them a technician and I'm paying them a technician. I'm paying part of their technician salary to do these other things. I am going to call them a tier two technician who also is our social media coordinator. And for being our social media coordinator, Becky gets compensated X amount of dollars per hour that she works on that. And the hours that she puts in on the floor as a tier two technician, she's getting paid Y amount. Those two things are very separate for me when I talk about um, pay skills. So I do think that I am taking that into account when I look at the the pay modality because it should be you should be able to have someone walk into your practice and have them know where they're going to land on the pay scale based on what their skill set is like that it should be clear everybody should be able to talk about it there shouldn't be this big secrecy factor of like well what is this person making per hour and it really is tied to how the wind moved the practice owner five years ago when that person walked yeah. in the door. Yeah. What mood, what mood he was in right. when I asked him right. three <laughs> years ago. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, and, and all of this brings us to the last part of the email, which just resolves itself. Should we be in, encouraging people to advocate for themselves? If you're doing these things, then no, you know, they shouldn't need to advocate for themselves, you know? Um, that that's really it. Uh, if here's the thing with people advocating for a raise, if there's no system, if there's no transparency, if there's no clearly defined way to move up, or if people are, are, are skirting that system and doing deals on the side, or people are, are, they have a scale that they ignore, then yeah, you really don't have any choice but to advocate for yourself, in which case that's what you should do. But if you're in a system where things are clearly laid out and they are transparent and uh, expectations are clearly set and people are not skirting the system and we are honest to God compensating people the way that we say that we're compensating them, then no, you know, then uh, negotiating is not going to help because you're going to be told this is what we pay people, you know, and, and that's it. And, and if they do let you negotiate, then they've just kind of undermined the whole system they've yes. built. And ultimately, no one's going to believe that the system really is the system. And so so I, I guess here's my thing with negotiating and advocating for yourself. You should look out for yourself. You should absolutely look out for yourself. On the other side of the table, though, as a leader, as a manager, as a boss, do I want a compensation system that favors and rewards the squeaky wheel or the tough deal maker? Or do I want a compensation system that rewards the team player, the person who genuinely wants to contribute and doesn't want to be selfish and doesn't want, I'm not saying the people who advocate are selfish, but you get the point, right? The person who's not necessarily hyper fixated on themselves or their compensation. They just want to do a good job. Well, I want to take care of those people. And so the way that I take care of those people is having a system that takes care of those people and compensation is not tied to your ability to negotiate with me because that's not what I think is important. And that's not how I want people to be compensated. I want them to be compensated based on the things that are important, not their willingness, their drive and their skill at negotiating. Yeah. I, 
And here I'm going to, I'm going to 100% agree with you and also somewhat mm-hmm. disagree at the same time. Sure, and so what sure. I, what I would say is I agree with you. I don't, I don't want people to have to negotiate. I have for years, I don't do pay discussions when I do evaluations because those two things are not tied together in my mind. Yep. We're talking about how things are going. And for me, the pay is tied to skills. And so what, if someone completes a level or completes a level of their, their, um, actual professional training, I want to reward them as soon as they get there. I don't want to have to wait for their evaluation to have that conversation because it is a, it's a very clear indicator. They've reached a milestone. Here's the money that's very clearly tied to that. Have at it. I want to be able to reward that. So I don't think that there should be negotiation, but where I do where how I view negotiation is probably very different than the person who wrote this post, but I love um, when team members come to me to negotiate and by what I, what I mean by negotiate is I want them to tell me about the things that they've done. Well, I want them to be proud of the work that they're doing. And I want the ability to be able to recognize those things and reward them. I'm just not going to tie that to their hourly salary. So if I have a sit down with someone and they're like, Hey, I did this really big thing. And I, you know, I created this, um, you know, I realized we didn't have a standard operating procedure for this thing that's happening out in the kennels. And so I went ahead and typed this up and I'd really love it if you could take a look at this and see what you think. When I have someone who has a, a leg to stand on and is telling me about the awesome job that they do, I absolutely believe in rewarding them in a financial sense. It's just not necessarily tied to their hourly salary. Mm -hmm. So I am 100% willing to be like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for your hard work. This is awesome. And, you know, give them a bonus or, um, you know, say, have the time to walk away and then come back and say, Hey, thanks for all your extra hard, you know, extra hard work. Here's a, you know, here's a gift card, go, you know, take a couple of extra paid hours and go have a day at the spa or whatever, however you you reward your teams. Like I, I love that. And so to me, that is still a negotiation because as an employee, I want to have my employers recognize my self-worth and you, you know, I, I love going into that kind of sit down and being able to present the things that I am doing really well. And so I do believe that's a fight for yourself. That's standing up for yourself. And so for me, that's how I see negotiation. And I don't think that that piece of it should stop. But what I do, what I do struggle with as an employer and what I want to get, I want my team to get away from is feeling like they have to be like, well, you know, I'm getting paid $13 an hour and I really need $15 an hour to live. So how am I going to justify asking them to pay me $2 more an hour? That to me is what I, what I don't want to have happen, whether an employee is a great employee or whether an employee is, is just an average employee, they shouldn't have to justify it in that respect for me. Right. I completely agree. Cool. All right. Let's wrap this up and leave it here. All right. I love it. This was a fun Thanks one. Thanks for doing that with me. That was really good. Oh, man. Oh, well, I'm I hope you guys get my... uh... Yeah, so turn your fans on. I was I'm going to go turn my fans back sunshine. on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, flaming sword of justice. I hope it doesn't rain this weekend. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I wish you hadn't said that. No, I'm just sorry. You know what? I'm gonna take. A <laughs> Am I fired nap of now? Yeah, I'm gonna go take a flaming nap of justice because that's that's what I need to carry on. And then, 
then I will rage again with my fans <laughs> dehumidifiers. All right. I love your face. Have a great weekend. Have, have a good one. Have a good one, guys. Take care. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. As always, uh, feel free to shoot us an email with any questions or concerns you have that you'd like me and Stephanie to dig into. The email address is podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, oh, it means the world to us when people write us reviews on iTunes. And be honest reviews. You can give us you can give us three stars. Just be honest. Uh, but that, that means a lot to us. And, you know, three stars helps us get better. So, all right, guys, take care of yourselves. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Bye.